morning. Pray with me, if you would. God, thanks for today. Um, I pray you would um, give us a miraculous encounter with you this morning, Father. Um, Well, thank you for bringing us all here today, God. And uh, God, guide me as I try to expound upon your word, Father. And Lord... um, just to allow us to, to center in on your presence. Thank you for the, the words that we've been able to sing this morning um, and the words we've been able to hear as your word was read over us this morning. God, you have persevered your word to, to speak to us in this time, in this place, in this season, Father. And now we, we rest and we trust that you are God and that you are going to do something uh, in our hearts this morning, Father. Um, Lord, we trust you, and we believe you, and we want to see you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so, Miracles is the title of the series, and we've been talking about it a lot, and I've been thinking about it a lot, and I think that, um, like, this is sort of a, a general rule for me, is that I, I can, I, I generally, I want people, as as I teach, as I lead, as I disciple, and just as I live, I, I want people to spend less time looking at their circumstances and more time looking at the character that their circumstances reveal. You follow that? So I think that's, that's a, a deity thing, like spend less time looking at the details of what God is doing and more time looking at what those details reveal about his character. And then for us, the same thing. Like the circumstances in our lives, what less time worrying and stressing about those details and more time worrying about what those character, what, what those details reveal about our character and, and who we are, personhood. Um, and I look out and I know some of your stories and I, I think about um, the, the great, wonderful things that have happened in your lives lately and the hard things that have happened in your lives lately. And, and we can be overcome with those details. And, and there, it's, not, it's not bad to when something great happens for you to really celebrate it or when something terrible happens for you to mourn it. That's good. Those are good things. But I think that the point of this message this morning, the point of this miracle, and the point of, of really of circumstances are to get us to see and understand the great and miraculous character of our God, that he is He is other than us, yet he wants to engage in our lives. And I think that's the the most incredible miracle that that we'll encounter, even even more incredible than the resurrection, because the resurrection is motivated by his character, right? Um, And so, like, we're going to see a story today that Kelly just read, and Jen and I were talking, I hate that we call it a story because we think a story means that it's like some fable that we made up with, uh, for our kids to teach a lesson. But I say story and that it, it's, it's just what we just read. And there is, a, um, like, I, I, I want us to, to see that God is, is great here. But in the story, a child is going to die and then that child isn't dead. It's, it's healed. But 
to really see what I'm talking about, about details and circumstances and how they reveal character, is the fact of the matter is what happened in this miracle is the death of this child was just postponed. Because this kid, the kid died. It, I don't know when he died, but 20, 30, 40, 60 years later, who knows. But the miracle that Jesus performed only postponed the death of this kid. And we're so consumed with what Jesus did in this circumstance that, like, we don't really realize that he, he didn't, like, the physical act that he did lasted however long this kid's life lasted. But the spiritual eternal thing that, this, this, that Jesus did here was the revelation of his glory, the revelation of his character, the revelation of, of his concern and compassion for another person. That's profound, I think, and that's eternal. Um, we're going to see two things throughout this whole message, and um, they're going to be on the screen pretty much the whole morning. They are these. Humility and desperation lead to seeing and believing. I want you to think about the whole of that statement. Humility and desperation lead to seeing and believing. And then the second thing is entitlement and familiarity are at odds with seeing and believing. And the whole point of a miracle, the the point of this miracle we're going to see today is not that a kid isn't dead. The point of the miracle is that the, the glory and compassion and love and character of Jesus Christ is revealed to someone in such a way that they can see him for who he is and then be changed and believe that he is the savior of the world. Um... Before we get into the heart of, of our text this morning, we need to go back a little bit. John chapter 4 is, most of it is Jesus with a woman at the well. Jesus is engaging with the woman at the well who's a Samaritan woman. And men are not allowed to engage with women. And, and Jews, who that Jesus is, is not allowed to engage with the Samaritan people. So the Samaritans are outsiders to Jesus. Um, but he engages with them anyway. So Jesus engages with this Samaritan woman, and then in verse 39, this happens after Jesus engages with the Samaritan woman. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They saw circumstance, and she told them about it, and they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. I want you to see this. Jesus engaging with outsiders, he says to them, they say to him, stay with us. And what does he do? It's not a grand theological argument. He stays with him. Like we, we, we're so excited about the story that we miss those little details. Jesus stayed with He said, they said, stay with me. And he stayed with them. And they were outsiders. They were not allowed. They were not supposed to be talking. They were supposed to be completely at odds with Jesus. Did you hear that? Like the people that are supposed to be completely at odds with Jesus are the ones that ask him to stay. And then he stays. Um, I hope that that lodges deep within your soul. Uh, Verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman... It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Do you know, like this is, 
the point of every interaction that Jesus has ever had with you is to get you to see and believe that he is the Savior of the world. The point of every interaction that Jesus has ever had with you. And further, the point of your circumstances that, are, that surround you are to get you to see and believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And here, outsiders who simply ask Jesus to hang out with him see it. All right, so let's skip down to our story. You need to see that context because it really enlightens our two statements that humility and desperation lead to seeing and believing and uh, entitlement and familiarity are at odds with seeing and believing. So jump to verse 43. After two days, he departed for Galilee for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. People that are familiar and feel entitled and the Jewish people felt entitled because they're Jewish people. They feel like God loves them more than he loves somebody else. And, and that's a, like, we're, we're suburban people living in a context where, we're, where we are. We are, like, this is a, a serious danger for us. That somehow because of who we are and where we are and what we believe and what we look like and what our bank accounts look like, that we feel like somehow, some way, we are entitled to something that Jesus offers to us. And, and we're intensely familiar with Christ. But in, I'm telling you, familiarity and entitlement are at odds with seeing and believing Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live there. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The story we learned last week when Jesus turned the water and the wine, they, see, they saw the greatness and the beauty of what had happened. Uh, verse 46. So when he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine... At Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Capernaum and Cana are about 25 miles away from each other. That's about a day's journey, just so you know the, the details of that. Verse 47, when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was to the point of death. So this man is desperate and he's humble. His son is, is going to die soon. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. We need to, there's some Greek that we need to learn here. This word, these two pronouns, you, he's the, that's, that's a plural pronoun, you all. So what's happening here, the picture of what's happening is that Jesus is in the midst of a group of people. Most of them people from his hometown. Most of them are familiar with who he is, and most of them understand and, and they're, feel this sort of entitlement. These are Jewish entitled people surrounding him. And in the middle of that, this desperate man who's an outsider comes to him and says, heal my son. And Jesus' response is plural you. Imagine somebody, like this situation right now, imagine somebody, an outsider, so an outcast for us, somebody who, who doesn't belong here. Think about that. Somebody who doesn't belong in this setting, in this context. What would that have to look like for us? Comes into, the, comes into this room and stands in front of us and says, Heal my son. I've, I've got this major issue. I need you to help me fix it. 
the, the humility that has to be present there to come into a place where he's an outsider. And he's going to be seen as an outsider to everyone in the room. It's, it's, he's, for us, it's probably, it's probably dirty. It's probably smelly. It's, it's like you just don't belong here where somebody would want to meet him at the back door and say, don't come in here. That's, what, that's this guy. So there's this great deal of, of humility. And like at the heart of humility is the word humiliation. Like everyone knows that I can't do something. And that's at odds with, with who we are as people. Like we don't want to admit that. Then Jesus says in the midst of that context, so, so get that picture. Somebody walks down those stairs standing right there and asks for us to help him. Jesus' response to that is you all, all of you people, aren't going to believe me unless I do some trick for you. And this guy is here saying to him, help me. But you guys aren't going to believe unless I do some trick for you. And I think that that's a, like, this is a, this is picking at us a bit here. Why, why are we at Church. Why do we center our lives around church? Why do we center our lives around Christ? Is it so that our lives might be better? So that we might feel better about ourselves? So that we might teach our children some morality? So that we can fit in? So we can have a plate? Like those are all things that I think are true of us. And, and the dangerous part about suburban Christianity is that, it, it, that we, can, we can chase this one, this one for a really long time. I'm just going to chase it for a second. The, the dangerous part about suburban Christianity is that's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's why we give our lives to suburban Christianity. It's so that our lives might be better, so that we might see Jesus do some trick. And then it lacks it thoroughly lacks the power that it claims to have. And then it thoroughly lacks the power to change us that it promises to change us. And the result is what we have today in this culture where Christianity is just to the non-Christian, to the outsider, it's something I have no thank you. Do you, like, do you have to think very hard to see that in our culture? That those people outside of Christianity are thinking, no, thank you. I think it's at the heart of it is, the, is Jesus' rebuke here. You're not going to believe who I am unless I do some trick for you. But the point of this trick, the point of this miracle, the point of all of this is that we might reveal the character of God. And see the character of God and believe it. Like, see and believe are things like, they're, they're easy for us. Like, I believe things and I see things, but this is different. This is like soul-changing good that would bring this guy, walk 25 miles to who is an outsider to come and, and, and face ridicule and scorn because there's something that he can't handle of himself. It's the only reason he comes. But again, this kid that's healed... Is like today, he's dead. Like all, all Jesus did in this miracle was postpone the inevitable in a physical sense. 
in a spiritual sense is there's a man who has changed. That's, I think it's important for us to, to see this. Um, let's, let's move on. Uh, down to verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 47, or 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Verse 49. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. I think it's, it's incessant of this guy. It's, it's proof that he believes that Jesus is who he says he is here. Because... He comes down into this room, into this context. I'm going to put it on, on the shelf where we can, we can interact with it. He comes down into this room, and then Jesus says, you people aren't going to believe me. And then the guy just like, okay, whatever. Heal my son. And do, do you see the humility and desperation of an outsider among insiders and the humility that's here? And this... Um, I think that this miracle serves as a metaphor for us and that this man is at the end of himself and he's desperate and humble and that's left him engaged with Jesus. Do, would our prayers look different? Would our prayers for the physical realities of our, like, dear God, do this for me, would they look different if our goal was to get to a place where we were humble and desperate? Think about the, the last maybe three or four or ten prayers that you've prayed. Have you ever prayed that God would make you humble and desperate? Maybe for humility. I've prayed for that before. God, give me humility in this circumstance. But have, have we ever prayed for desperation? What, what moment do you think was the most glorious in this guy's life? This official's life. Probably when he found out that his son wasn't going to die. And that was the direct, like without desperation, he doesn't see it. Scott Sauls, an author that I'm falling in love with, says this. God's grace flows downhill to the low places, not uphill to the pompous and put together places. Think about that. God's grace is flowing to the low places. Do you want to be in a low place? Like that notion, this whole notion is is completely at odds with American suburban Christianity. Right? The seemingly put together people are the people we want to get around. The people that seem to be put together are the ones that we want to get around. Like, and I'm... Like, what I want and long for for our church is to be seemingly put together. And then I, I like... Like, hear me, because that's error, that's wrong, that's flawed, that's stupid. But, that, but that's, like, at our heart, we want, some, we want, like, people to think well of us. We want think, people to think good of us. We would never consider 
coming in as an outsider to a group of insiders and begging one of those insiders to help us in a deeply humiliating way. We'd never, like that, that's not a, no, that's, that, no, that's not an option for us. But I, this miracle is a metaphor for that. Um, Anne Lamont, who's sort of a Christian writer, uh, says this, it's okay to realize you're crazy and very damaged. All the best people are. And like, can we just be, can we just be real and honest with each other, with ourselves, with our wives, with our husbands, with our friends, with our church? Can I be real with you? Like, I'm confused. I don't know what God's got in store for us. I don't know what God's got in store for me, my family, this church. I don't know. But I'm, I'm praying that we would learn to be desperate. Dude, like all throughout the scriptures, almost everything that Jesus has ever taught is here. We, the first teaching he ever does, the first teaching words that are recorded in scripture, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. James and Peter both say, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Don't we want to be humble? Like forget about the circumstances of this miracle and understand why it happened and how it happened. A desperate man in a desperate place who said, I can't do this. You've got to do it. Help me. And the result is that he saw and believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. Like, humility and desperation lead to seeing and believing. And Jesus is attracted to this man's humility and desperation. Verse 51, he was going down with his servants, and they met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he leaves Cana, going back to Capernaum, 25-mile mile journey, about a day's job, travel, and, and they meet somewhere along the way. And his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Imagine the, the incredible feeling that he had to see there and experience there. So he asked him from the hour, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew this was the hour that Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Um, I want to say a couple of things about verse 53. The father knew this hour when Jesus had said to him, let me tell you this about me. If I heard this story from this guy or from a friend of this guy that, hey, he went to Capernaum or he went to Cana and, and Jesus did all, the, all this stuff and Jesus said, your son will live. And then he's walking back. And, you know, if, you're, if I heard this story and the guy said, it, the exact moment when Jesus said, your son will live is when he started to get better. Do you know what? I would be like, okay, what, whatever. 
Okay, that's sweet. But like that, the reality is that's what happened. And I, like, do we, do we really, this, this is really scary for me, even in this moment, because God is, God is big and he's powerful and he's, he's here right now. Like, do I have the guts to pray? God, break me. Do you have the guts to, to ask God to put you in a place of desperation? I know in my most desperate moments, it's then that I see the glory of God that causes me to see and believe. And, and look at the, like, this is a father, an official. He's an important guy. Look at the last words of verse 53. And he himself believed and all his household. Guys, I want to talk to you for just a second as we end this morning. Like, God has crafted the family in such a way to place you as the leader of your wife and of your children. And the result of this man's desperation and seeing and believing God, it changed his whole household. That's what headship means is responsibility. It doesn't mean authority. It doesn't mean power. It doesn't mean strength. It means you are responsible. And the responsibility of his family here leads to them seeing and believing it grew out of his own desperation. It is a powerful thing. Um, I want to leave you with a, a story about a desperate person who things did not go his way, but a miracle happened nonetheless in his life um, to behold the glory and power of God that echoes to this day. Um, so about a guy named Horatio Spafford. In 1871, Horatio's uh, four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Later on that year, he was a wealthy businessman and lived in Chicago, and the great Chicago fire in 1871 destroyed basically his entire fortune, and he was nearly broke. 1873, he had built some of his fortune back up, and his wife and four living daughters set sail for England to, uh, for a vacation. And he had some business stuff to tie up, so in a few days he was going to get on a ship and meet them in England. Uh, and while they were on this journey, a, an iron ship basically T-boned the ship that his wife and, and four daughters were on. And there were about 350 people on board, and about 300 of them passed away. So 50 of them uh, were alive. One of which was the, uh, his wife. Four of those who didn't survive were his daughters. She got to England and sent a telegram to her husband saying, Saved alone. And he got on a ship immediately and set sail there along the way to 
uh, on that voyage, several day voyage, he wrote the song we're about to sing. Um, one of the lines in that song is, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, but this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless state and shed his own blood for my soul. How do you, how do you write that? On a ship where your children just died. Unless you've beheld the glory of God. Like here's what, here's what I, want you to, I want you to see and as I want you to know as we sing this song. You're all familiar with it. You'll probably hear the melody in your head right now. But as we sing the song, I, I want you to see that a holy and wonderful God, despite difficult or hard circumstances or wonderful circumstances, this God wants to engage with you. And forget about the miracle of saving a child. Forget about the lack of a miracle of, of saving four children. The real miracle is that an incredible, holy powerful God wants to engage with you. Let's uh, pray and sing that song. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you that you are a God who wants to engage with us, Father. I ask you now to create in us desperation for you. Help us to understand our depravity and our brokenness and our sinfulness and our pride and our confidence break us of that, Father, by any means necessary so that we might see the glory of you and your Son, Father. And we might be changed to go on mission with you and for you in this world. God, tear down our confidence in ourselves. that we might say whatever comes it's well with my soul if I can just taste you thank you for Jesus it's in his name I pray